Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, it may only be October 25th, but to me, it feels like December 25th. It feels like Christmas morning. You know why? Why is that, Bobby? Not because the World Series is about to start. No. That certainly doesn't feel like Christmas morning. It feels like Christmas morning because we get to start this week's podcast with a bad take, dramatic reading from none other than Bob Nightingale. Are you ready to do this? I am ready to do this. It's been quite a while since we've actually gotten to sit down and really bask in the the penmanship of some of our nation's finest baseball columnists. So it's it's nice to be getting back to basics here in October. Yeah, it has been a while. I mean, maybe we've just been focused on other stuff or we've just been doing a real podcast, but it's time to just derail the entire show and read line by line from a terrible column written for USA Today. Yes, because that's what we do best. Um, now, I have not read this yet. So <laughs> this is basically from Alex's, from Bob's pen through Alex's mouth to my ears. <laughs> Unencumbered. Okay, so the headline is Sweet Revenge, colon. Atlanta knocks off Los Angeles Dodgers to advance to World Series. Yes, I, I saw this and I thought, this is a bad take, dramatic reading. I don't even have to read the column yep. first. <laughs> Sweet revenge. Right up top, before we even get into the article, we have a correction. Corrections and clarifications. A previous version of this story included an incorrect dateline. The game took place in Atlanta. Well, can we do a correct, issuing a correction to the correction, Alex? Of course. <laughs> the games that the Braves play don't take place don't in Atlanta. Don't take place in Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, that's in Cobb County. So correction <laughs> and clarification to the correction and clarification. Okay. what? Mm-hmm. How, get us started. What is the lead? Okay. Bobby, Atlanta is still seething that Major League Baseball stripped the All-Star game away from their beloved city this summer. Well, politics or not. Paragraph break. Well, <laughs> paragraph every not. every single one. It's a sentence on each on each line. Politics or not, there's absolutely nothing MLB can do to stop Atlanta now. Boom, bang, wow! Mike dropped already. Now he's got to pick the mic back up and continue the column. Yep. Is there nothing that they can do to stop Atlanta? They could have rigged the NLCS. Why didn't they do that? Yeah, they probably could have. I'm sure they could have slipped some obscure rules provisions and it says oh actually players named eddie rosario aren't allowed to have more than seven hits in a series his runs actually count for the other team now right (laughs) that'd be the first time anyone in mlb was interested in anything remotely close to wealth redistribution so but you know (laughs) one step at a time (laughs) okay let's continue atlanta will host the world series for the first time since 1999 this column goes back and forth between grasping at straws to like make a compelling uh, column and 
like minute by minute kind of like play by, you know, like further down in the article, which we're not even going to get to, he does like a, like a pitch by pitch of an at bat of an Eddie Rosario at bat, right. which could make for good writing, I suppose. I just support that he didn't it, like, he's working it all into the same column, you know, like he's mm-hmm. not, he's like, I'm not, I don't have to write a gamer. I'm just going to, I don't have to write a bad take. I'm just going to do them all in one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he continues. It was sweet revenge, Southern style, whatever that means, with a sellout crowd of 43,060 at Truist Park, loving every minute. We, we haven't really heard what the revenge is yet. Right. I, I suppose the revenge is that MLB moved the All-Star game, and this was the Braves getting back at them, showing yep. them those suits at MLB by getting to the World Series, the last thing that MLB wanted? The best version of these columns are always built on this non-sequitur that only the writer understands and never never does the work to really like flesh it out and, and chase that idea down and unravel it and try to try to really get at the core of what that means. So like, all right, let's take the 30,000 foot view of this column, Alex. So what he's saying is the Braves got to the World Series because they were like, you know what? We don't want people to vote. Yeah. They were fueled by Manfred's overtly political decision to pull the All-Star game out of Atlanta. Bad beat for and that Freddie just Freeman. lit a fire under their ass. Bad beat for Freddie Freeman being the photo like mid-article here in the USA <laughs> right. Today story where, where Nightingale's being like, no one can stop the Braves from sticking it to MLB for moving it because of the Georgia voting restrictions. And then Freddie Freeman just looks like super happy. I mean, someone was going to do this, right? Someone was ultimately going to write an article that No, that I thought that it was going to be just together. a tweet. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, the funny thing is that this, uh, this column is probably like a thousand words long, and he really stops referencing the, the All-Star Game shenanigans after like after the first couple hundred words. Like from then on, it's just a kind of a a preview of the World Series, but I respect that he's trying to hook people, you know? So um, so he says, whoever wins the World Series, it promises to be quite the World Series trophy presentation. Sure. If it's Atlanta, MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred is going to be booed from Cobb County to Savannah for moving the All-Star Game to Denver in protest of Georgia's voting laws. And if it's Houston, Manfred will be booed from Minute Maid Park to the Alamo for exposing the Astros cheating scandal, which led to the firing of GM Jeff Lunau and and manager AJ Hinch and national embarrassment. <laughs> Just that dangling claws at the end. <laughs> I love I love the uh, from Minute Maid Park to the hmm. What can what else can I think of that's in Texas? <laughs> right, Let exactly. me spin a wheel. Uh the Alamo. <laughs> He's gonna be booed from Minute Maid to the Alamo. Can we be very clear here? Rob Manfred is going to be booed during the trophy presentation By no matter fan where base. is yeah, the game. No, nobody the game likes is. Rob Manfred. Right. That's You can project whatever rationale you would like onto that fan base, but I promise you, you're not going to have 40,000 Astros fans saying, fuck you for exposing our cheating scandal. Like, they should be cheering Rob Manfred. Had? None of the right? players got suspended. They exactly. still have the title. Yeah. Uh, that That's a good point. You know, we should write a column that's like, the Braves fans are actually booing Rob Manfred because they're secret socialists. 
And they're like, yeah. you've been keeping too much of the profits. Right. It's time to pay. This is your tribunal, Rob. <laughs> I just want to say really quickly, this USA Today website, great work by everybody. My page has already become unresponsive six times over the course of you reading this article. <laughs> just just not working. Just well, autoplay Bobby, videos. The page is unresponsive. It's telling me to wait or kill. I just, I can't even read this. Well, uh, there is a there is a box up top that says we're always working to improve our your experience. Let us know what you think. So if your page unfreezes, and you can uh, close the pop up ads around it, maybe maybe give that a click. I had to just close out of the page because I'm afraid that it's going to crash my whole recording right now, and the the tipping pitches listeners at home are not going to be able to hear this great segment. <laughs> is there anything else in this article that you want me to he- see or hear now that I don't no. have it open? No, there's not. Like I said, there's like 800 more words here. Um, sweet revenge. Yep. Here's here's a little random line. Rosario swung and missed at a 93 mile per hour cutter. Strike one. That's just pulled that out of the middle of the article. <laughs> here's another one. They ex- escaped a two out bases loaded jam in the sixth when Blake Trinan struck out Austin Riley. Oh, so now we're talking. You about remember, the remember that one? Yeah, we're we're, we're bouncing back and forth. Yeah, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. This is like a Christopher Nolan movie. Time. It's mm-hmm. not a. It's not a straight line. No, that's that's really it for this article. Aside from equating, uh, aside from equating Marcelo Zuna's absence with the the injury losses of Ronald Acuna and Mike Soroka, that's uh, just this, in vogue right now because the TBS broadcast was doing that at every opportunity. Yeah, I mean it's all the same. He's not there, right? Right. Isn't yeah. Same effect. Same reasoning. Nothing else to interrogate there. The important part is he's not with us. Yes. So we hope he gets back whenever he can. Um, okay. Well, that, this certainly feels like a certain version of just having opened my Christmas presents. Alex, we're going to preview said Nightmare World Series. Uh, we are going to answer just a few quick voicemails. And then we will do three up, three down, as always. But before we do all of that, I am Bobby Wack. I am Alex Baisley. And you are listening to Tipping Pitches. Alex, the World Series of the Bad Narrative is upon us. And it's not just the narrative that the, the Braves are flipping the script on on Rob Manfred for supporting <laughs> voting rights. rights. <laughs> it's not just that narrative. It's just all types of bad narratives. Um, you know, I think this was this was a nightmare scenario. We, before the before the playoffs started, before we even knew the playoff picture, for certain, we were talking about how the the teams were shaping up to be just not a lot of not a lot of things that we could get behind, right? We remember, I, we had that conversation for a couple of weeks on this show, and I said to you, "It's really dicey, man. Like, there's not a lot of teams that I could really see myself rooting for outside of the White Sox and the Dodgers." And sure enough, the White Sox and the Dodgers are eliminated. We are left with the Braves and the Astros. Um, but I don't want to shortchange the actual baseball of it because we got two pretty good series. I think that. Um, it's a lot more surprising that the Dodgers did not come back than it is that the Red Sox did not come back. But the Red Sox put up a pretty good fight. Um, I guess we're just kind of bad luck here. We brought Josh Gondeman on last week to try to make his case for the Red Sox, try to pull on those middle-of-the-road, rust-country, rust-belt voters to come root for the Red Sox. And then they proceeded to lose two straight games and get eliminated from the ALCS. And then, of course, I was rooting pretty hard for the Dodgers. 
almost embarrassingly hard for the Dodgers. Um, I was ridiculed by my family of Mets fans for wearing Dodgers gear and supporting the Dodgers and going to a bar to root for the Dodgers. But they were not able to do it. So what what is kind of your general takeaway as we get ready to watch game one of this World Series? We're sitting here on Monday night recording this. Are you excited? Are you frustrated by the teams that have made it? Are you looking forward to the matchup? Um, what's been your takeaway so far? Well, you know, I've kind of gone through a cycle of emotions at this point because I think when when the Astros had clinched it and the Braves were up in their series, it felt like the the writing was on the wall, right? And it felt like myself and baseball fans everywhere were bracing themselves for the inevitable, right? Which is an Astros-Braves World Series. Because by and large, it's not hard to find something to detest about either of these teams, whether it's one's a, a fan base's culture or a, a, a team's culture, right? And so I sat with that for a while, recognizing that this was absolutely not the the World Series that MLB wants, right? This isn't the one that's going to draw record-breaking viewership, right? It's not the World Series that that Fox wants. And as a result of that, I've kind of I think I've made peace with it, right? Because it's going to be it's going to be weird. We're going to get some weird stuff. We always do. While these two teams make it hard for fans to root for their organizations, you can pick out a lot of individual players and follow them and follow their storylines. And you and I have talked about this before, right? That that's, in some cases, a more enjoyable way to watch baseball because you can really tune in on the intricacies of of what and how a guy is doing. And so is it what is it what I wanted? Is it what you wanted? No, maybe not. I still have I still have feels about the Astros. You know, I still... We still have feels about about the Braves and a certain chant their fan base does, but ultimately the World Series is going to happen, and I'm gonna I'm gonna sit down and watch it, and that's that's kind of where we're at right now. It's gonna be a time. Look, I don't love the matchup in any way. I don't even I don't love the baseball matchup either because I I like for all everything about what the Braves have done so far this season. You know, going and improving the team at the trade deadline, rebuilding the out outfield. Um, all of the the hot play in the playoffs of guys of of Eddie Rosario in particular, but also like Freddie Freeman was really hot in the DS. Started off the CS very cold and then turned it around and got really hot again. There are individual things that I like about that side of the bracket. Fine, I think the Astros are much better. I still think the Dodgers were better. They lost the series though, so like they lost. Fine, it's very hard to win back to back World Series. It's hard to win a World Series at all, but it's even harder to win back-to-back. Um, but I, I, the matchup itself just does not really inspire me on a baseball no. level no. because it doesn't feel like heavyweight versus heavyweight, but it also doesn't really feel like heavyweight versus underdog because the Braves were very good last year. Like They almost went toe-to-toe with the Dodgers um, at a little bit more of a fuller-strength version than they are now. And I don't... I don't really know. It's just something about this team feels a little bit down. And I, I mean, I guess the thing that I'm really missing is just Ronald Acuna Jr. Like, I think if Ronald Acuna was on, was playing, 
and was able to showcase himself on the national stage. Say what you want about what the TV executives would think, what what neutral observers, neutral fans would come think coming into the series if it would attract as many of them. I think for like the baseball heads, it'd be really cool to watch Acuna go at 24 years old or however old he is go up against this Astros team that has kind of been like the the cream of the crop in baseball for the last five years. This is their third World Series in five years. This is their this was their fifth straight ALCS appearance. Like this has been all in all, the Astros have been the best baseball team in Major League Baseball since we started doing this podcast. I think that that is fair to say. I mean the the Dodgers are there too, but certainly in the AL. Right. But just in terms of like actually winning it, get it, you know, and they're still they made it again this year. You know what I mean? Like that, you could make an argument either way. But I, there are some things that I like about the Astros too. Like most of the players on this team were not even on the team during the cheating thing. But it's like I said a couple weeks ago. It's just impossible to talk about this team divorced from the context of that. But organizationally, there are even worse things about them. Like. Many of these front office members are still the same people that were involved or who signed off on the idea of trading for Roberto Osuna. And they've gotten rid of um, Brandon Taubman, the guy who was harassing reporters about that Osuna trade. But culturally, it still doesn't feel great in that organization. Um, so, yeah, that's what I, that's kind of what I was alluding to. at The idea of like no narrative here is a good narrative here um, in terms of like. At least in 2019, you could convince yourself that it was like good guys versus bad guys when the Nationals won. Um, But yeah, it just doesn't really feel like that this time around. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being a little bit too pessimistic about the actual on-field of it. And it'll turn out to be an entertaining and weird series like almost all World Series turn out to be. I will say personally for me, and this is being biased... I just cannot entertain a world where the Braves win the World Series. I just yeah. can't. I just can't. I'm obviously a gigantic Mets fan, but this specific year where the Mets were winning the division for two-thirds of the year and they just completely collapsed and laid down and allowed the Braves to rebuild their team at the trade deadline, allowed them to keep to stay within striking distance and then eventually strike. Yikes. That would be yeah. a hard pill for me to swallow. A very, very hard pill for me to swallow. Last thing on that, by the way, Good for the Braves for going for it at the trade deadline. Fine. Alex Anthopoulos getting a little too much credit. A little too much credit. Traded nobody, basically nobody of consequence to the organization to just get a couple outfield bats. And those guys really stepped up and performed. Those guys took it seriously. Those guys saw on the field, we can do this. And I'd like to give them a ton of credit. But I kind of feel like Alex Anthopoulos is riding a little bit of a luck wave right now. I mean, to an extent. Give Alex Anthopoulos truth serum. Did he really think Eddie Rosario was going to hit 550 in the, in the NLCS? No, but you, do, you also don't need to think he's going to do that, right? To, to still think that he's a worthy addition. I mean, I think you're right that like, and it's not limited to Anthopoulos either, that any team that a GM assembles, there's an element of luck in it actually coming together, right? You could say the same about the... You could say the same about the Giants' entire run this year, right? And the, you know, you and I kept thinking the rug was going to get pulled out from under them, and it didn't. Those players just meshed and they performed well together. So I just think he's getting a lot of credit for not punting. Like 
for not doing the thing that every other GM has made it seem like is normal, but like shouldn't happen as often as it does. Right. Which is just giving up on the season. Now, he took advantage of a couple other teams who were giving up on the season. And I think he deserves a small amount of credit, but I don't think that we need to like anoint him. He doesn't need to be right there in the heavens gazing down at us with Theo Epstein. <laughs> does Theo Epstein even deserve to be up there? It's a no. conversation for another pod. That is my tone is laden with sarcasm. Before we move off the Dodgers entirely, I think it makes sense that we give them their due, their send-off, because this was a really, really good team that somehow ended up getting the short end of the stick every step of the way. Like they 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 largely had the the deck stacked against them. And it's somewhat impressive that they that they got as far as they did when you think about the the injuries that they sustained, the fact that this was a a hundred win team that had to duke it out in a one game playoff against a, a red hot Cardinals team, right? The fact that they didn't get home field advantage against an eighty eight win Atlanta Braves team, like losing Turner, losing Kershaw, losing Muncie, like I mean, and injuries happen to every team, right? It's this is it's the kind of thing that is bad luck of the draw. But I think that by and large, we I've seen a lot of different takes around the the Dodgers exit and sweeping declarations about, you know, the the fall the the rise and fall of the starter in relief or, you know, the Dave Roberts playoff narrative. And I just think that the general baseball fan literacy myself included is not well equipped enough to talking about all the nuances that go into a a, an, a season's end like this right it's a confluence of factors that i think all too often media members try to kind of boil down to like well what was the problem right what didn't click at the end of the day and it's well they've they had a lot of injuries and Dave Roberts in the front office maybe leaned too hard on starters in relief, right? And ran Urias and Scherzer into the the ground and their offense forgot how to hit for like half of the playoff games. It's kind of remarkable, really. And yet still fought tooth and nail to the to the very end. So I do want to want to tip my hat to that Dodgers team. And I said it last week, right? But this is this feels like, and it remains to be seen whether it is, but it feels like the end of an era, right? Coming into every season, it's, you know, it's pretty easy to to pencil in the Dodgers up in first place, or at least pencil them into a playoff spot, right? You can throw a hundred wins on there. They'll probably get there. That doesn't feel so certain next year, especially with the Giants resurgence this year. It feels all of a sudden the NL West's power balance feels very shifted. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think depending on who the Dodgers resign, depending on who the Giants bring back, and depending on who the Padres hire and whether or not some of their guys can bounce back from injury, there's like, this is way too premature to say, but there's a reasonable case to be made that the Padres have a good shot at winning that division next year, even after their very disappointing 2021. And I know we were saying that before this year, that they were going to challenge the Dodgers, but you laid it out very nicely last week. A lot of these guys are free agents. A lot of these guys that have driven the consistency of the Dodgers 
are free agents. Now they ha- they obviously have guys like Mookie Betts and Trey Turner coming back. Mookie Betts is going to be here <laughs> until the cows come home. But Trey Turner, the, who they traded for at this trade deadline, he has another year. You know, Walker Buehler is not going anywhere. The best of the best players are probably going to come back too, but the thing that rounds out the rest of their team and makes them so good and is why you can pencil them in for an absurd 95 to 105 wins every year is just because like there are so many good players and there are a lot of question marks about those guys coming back. So I agree. Um, I think that they'll find a way to get it done. I really hope I was thinking about this when there was a lot of like spending doesn't win you world series discourse. on when the Dodgers got eliminated, um, which is just, just hilarious. The notion that the Braves, eliminated them because they spent less is asinine has nothing to do with it Um, are people going i assume people will recant their statements when the fourth highest payroll in the league astros win the world series yeah right yeah cognitive dissonance um i really hope that the dodgers don't use not just not not winning the world series but just like the timeline of these players all coming up for free agency at once and many of them probably getting larger offers than the Dodgers are willing to give on the aggregate for each one of them individually as a group. If that makes sense, that's kind of a confusing way to phrase it. But like, but like other teams are going to come in and poach a few of them. They're not going to be able to bring back everybody. They just won't. And they won't choose to because they know that the, all of those guys will be getting older at the same time. And they know that they need some collection of older, middle-aged, baseball-wise, and younger guys to make sure that this is the, the level of sustainability that they've had over the last 10 years. So a lot of those guys will be wearing different uniforms. I personally just hope that they don't use this as an as opportunity to say, now it's time to get and stay below the luxury tax. Because we know they can afford it to go way over. We know that they've spent fuck you money in the past, even if it was on a guy that they shouldn't have spent it on. We know that they've consistently shown that they're willing to spend more than every other team and not worry about it if it means trying to compete. Because that's what the fans deserve. and. I hope that now that they've won one and a lot of these guys are coming up and about to be off the books, they don't just Red Sox this. Because that would be a really unfortunate thing for baseball. If all three teams that we've seen spend the most amount of money, and I guess now if you want to throw the Mets in there now that they're owned by Steve Cohen, but if the three teams that we've seen consistently spend at or above the luxury tax are just suddenly just like very afraid of that line. Those three teams being the Red Sox, who traded Mookie Betts to stay under it, the Yankees, who religiously stay $1 million under it every single year, and now the Dodgers, who are at a bit of a fork in the road. So we'll see. We'll see. Guggenheim Baseball Ownership Group. Flash that cash, bro. Yeah. Well, and I mean, we would be... Spend it like you got it. (laughs) Right? I mean, we, we would be remiss if we didn't also say that, like... The CBA negotiations will impact all of this too, right? We have no real sense of what baseball's financial structure might look like come January. It's not going to be look very different, but it will impact the the way that teams look at what players are available and what they think they'll be able to do come July. And you know, is it even still feasible to pay players to be to play baseball? And should we be moving towards? unpaid internships. I think that that's I think that's something they should start looking into. Let's do a couple of voicemails or a couple of questions. Does that sound good? Yeah, let's do it. This first one is actually not a voicemail. I'll read it really quickly. It is an email 
comes from Anthony. Uh, Anthony says that he's a huge Dodger fan and has been for most of his life. There was a point in the immediate fallout of the Astros cheating scandal where he convinced himself that he hated the Astros even more than the Giants. While I've calmed down from those negative feelings, I still really hate the Astros for tainting that 2017 run, which I think featured my favorite Dodgers team of this generation. That being said, I think I have to root for them against the Braves. As much as I love Jocktober and some other Braves players, I don't think it's enough to absolve the Braves of their very real problems as an organization. The tomahawk chop and inviting Travis Tritt seemingly only because he's politically relevant seem like too much for me to get over. Maybe the Braves can win in seven, but get blown out every game at home so they don't do their stupid chant. So we are not the only people feeling conflicted, Alex. Yeah, well, and this is especially hard for a self-proclaimed Dodger fan, right? Who was impacted very directly by the Astros cheating scandal back in 2017. And just got bounced by the Braves this year. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Any advice? Who are you rooting for? Or are you claiming Switzerland? I guess, <laughs> I, I guess the Astros. If I feel like most yeah. like quote unquote neutral observers are gonna eventually side with the Astros. Yeah, let's go. Here's why. I'm rooting for the Astros. Here's why. Fuck the Braves. Eternally, forever, and ever and ever and ever. And number two, Dusty Baker. Right. Dusty Baker deserves the World Series. He is one of the greatest managers in baseball history. He is not the greatest manager. Please do not get it wrong. There is very many reasons why he failed from time to time, but he is so solid, so consistent, such a great figure throughout baseball history. And he's like a living legend. And if he gets this in what may be his final year, by the way, he does not have a contract for next year. And he rides out on top. Hall of Famer. Let's get Dusty his ring. Yeah, has won one as a player, but not as a manager, right? Yeah. Well, I think you laid it out very well. The the case for the Astros, as it were. (laughs) To Anthony, I say, take some solace in the fact that this is the, the position of conflicting fandom that MLB wants you in right now. Rob Manfred's very rationale for not punishing Astros players in the wake of the cheating scandal was that fans would do it themselves, right? They The fans will be the ones doling out the punishments because they'll be booing Jose Altuve. And that's a lot to put on fans, man, to, to have to not only take into account that there may be a rival on the other side of the field or you think that your team is outmatched or whatever, but to also have this kind of moral high ground placed upon you, right? And and suggest that that's something that you can incorporate into your rooting interests. I think, speaking for myself, I might feel better about siding with the Astros uh, in the World Series had any sort of real punishment been handed down to the Astros. I'm not, this isn't the time to, to relitigate this or go into what that punishment could have or should have been. But I think the reason why it still feels like an open wound for a lot of people is because w- we never got closer on it, yeah. right? It, it kind of, the story broke, a couple executives got fired, and then we moved on. As a result, we still have fans who are wrestling with how to approach 
watching an Astros game, what are you supposed to feel? I don't. What does Rob Manfred want me to feel? Does he want me to feel contempt? Right? Does he want me to to be torn between these these two teams? I think that's a hilarious question in general. What does Rob Manfred want me to feel? Yeah, I don't think he thinks that way. Honestly, I don't think he cares what you feel or think or do. As long as you're putting your purchasing power towards his product. Right, exactly. You can't boo the Astros if your butts aren't in the seats. <laughs> um, okay, let's do a, a couple voicemails really quickly. Hey, Bobby and Alex. It's Ben from Manhattan. Love the show. Love everything you guys do. Just have one quick question for you both. Is this the worst vibe matchup in the World Series since the Red Sox and Cardinals in 2013? I mean, all of the Astros discourse, the cheating stuff, TBS showing Braves fans doing the chop at every single possible moment, Acuna not being on the field. I can't remember another World Series I've wanted to watch less than this possible matchup and would love to hear your guys' thoughts. Um, yeah, fuck every – no billionaires in baseball. Fuck every single owner. Love you guys. Bye. Vibes matchup. Good question. Yeah. This is a terrible vibes matchup. This is just everything that we were just talking about. But um, narratives and vibes, how different are they, Alex? I think that I think that this is the worst since 2013. Red Sox-Cardinals was tough. I don't think that I was thinking about it on that level, but when I think back to it, uh, terrible vibes matchup. Ben brought up something. Ben, this caller, brought up something really quickly that I, I didn't put in my three up, three down because we talked about it last week a little bit, but why is TBS obsessed with showing the job? That's a that's a really good question, Bobby. Um, this is TBS, who's owned by Turner, the the the, the cable network conglomerate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. The one who's Turner. Where have I heard? Where have I heard that name before? Yeah, Turner. It is. I'm trying to put the Turner pieces together because it was Turner. Ted. Ted. Ted Turner. Is that anything? Uh, I don't know. He's either a subject of a. A true crime Netflix documentary or or yeah oh yeah look at that there he is Ted Turner interesting sure nothing's Former going owner on. of the Braves sure nothing's going on there um do you agree worst vibe matchup since 2013 yeah I think it's I think that's uh I think that's a good assessment I think that uh 2014 kind of comes close for me in part because I I am still bitter seven years later uh about the the Royals Eliminating the A's in pretty epic fashion. Just the most stunning fake baseball game I've ever seen in my life. Really, really, really bad stuff. Uh, That was that was hard to swallow. And that was also the Giants team where I was like, "Really, guys, we're still doing this even year shit." (laughs) So that one hurt. But uh, yeah, they were really playing the hits by then. Yeah, they really were. But the uh, the vibes are definitely bad all around here in 2021. Uh, Okay, next voicemail. Hey, Bobby. Hey, Alex. First time, long time. Uh, just calling in. I just know that just to uh, see if you guys knew that uh, Kevin Millar originally got into Major League Baseball by being a scab during the, uh, during the strike. So I just thought that was really funny. Uh, I just wanted to know what you guys thought about that, you know, him being so big on the network. They're high heat. Uh, yeah. Just want to let you guys know. Love what you guys are doing. Uh, keep it up. This is hilarious because there's no, there's not really, I mean, there is a question. It's like, I want to know what you guys think, but it really is just like, I want to share this fact with you. 
Right. Kevin Millar is which, a scab. Which I, which I personally wasn't familiar with, were you? No, no, I wasn't either. Actually, you know what? Uh, when Josh Gondelman brought up Kevin Millar, the the Red Sox Kevin Millar between 2003 and 2005, he Josh briefly mentioned that last week. And I was like, oh, I didn't associate Kevin Millar with being one of the most hated players. Like, obviously, Johnny Damon caught a lot of flack. Um, Clemens caught a lot of flack as a Red Sox. Uh, later in like the 2007 era, Jonathan Papelbon was much hated, but Kevin Millar, I mean, I just, he like wasn't that relevant. And now I realize why Josh said that. This is far from surprising, and it's also incredible that he means he he was he was barred from the MLBPA as a result, <laughs> right? <laughs> if you are a scab, if you're a replacement player, you literally are not a part of our union. Sorry. Yep. Um. There's there's no coming back from that. There is pretty much nothing you can do to not be labeled a scab. That is my thoughts on this. Thank you for calling and uh, illuminating us. Last question. Hi, guys. It's Becca. I just have a question. Um, what are tipping pitches fans called? I feel like there's a tipping pitches highs, and I think we deserve a name. Um, I don't have any ideas. I really hadn't given this much thought before I called in, but... I don't know if you guys had any ideas. Uh, Becca, thank you for calling. Um, Becca has mastered the art of the short call, one question straight to the point. Uh, it, it's very, it's an impressive showing each and every time. Good question. I don't have an answer to this question. I knew that we, I was going to play it, but I want to leave it open for interpretation. I want to leave it open to suggestion, unless Alex, unless you have something in your head where you're like, this is perfect. Let's call Tipping Pitches fans this. No, you know, I can't I can't think of anything on the spot right now. Um the the, the tipping really? pitchers. You can't think of something on the spot? <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> it's a Monday. It's too early in the week for this smoke. Yo, the first two hundred episodes, we were best friends, and we always agreed with each other and boosted each other up and supported each other's points. The next two hundred episodes, buttonheads, angry, mm-hmm. yelling, yeah, mad That's at what each other. Want. We're turning heel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's probably you could do something with like, you know, our 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 show's initials are TP. Yeah, so TP Hive. I, yeah, TP. TP Unfortunately, Hive. TP. Like I think a lot of people associate that with toilet paper. The toilet paper, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. of all of our shitty takes. <laughs> um, I don't know. Let's let's let people come up with suggestions. This would be a great thing to include with your question for the 200th episode mailbag, which is coming up in just a couple weeks. Please continue to submit questions for that. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, three up, three down. Is that the way that you want to be loved? Is that the way that you want to be loved? Is that the way that you want to be loved? Okay, Alex, three up, three down. Let's start with down this week. Would you like to start or you want me to start? Uh, why don't you kick us off this week? Okay, uh, my first this week is, I already mentioned a, a brief criticism of TBS very serious brief criticism of TBS. This is another brief criticism of TBS. A little more trivial. Alex, this is not just a TBS thing, actually, but it was happening a lot in the Braves Dodger series. Why do announcers love weak contact? They just love it. Oh, yeah. You were going off on they Twitter about this, weren't you? They eat it up. They're like, 
please hit the ball as soft as possible to the right to to right field. Every time someone hits the ball to right field, every time a single is hit, the announcers pretend like the guy made the decision ahead of time not to hit a home run. He's like, thank God he chose not to hit a home run there. Thank God. It's like, yeah, most of the time when a single happens, the guy still put a quote-unquote home run swing on the ball. He just didn't hit it at the perfect time. (laughs) Guys don't change their swing all that much unless they're down heavily in the count. Like, if you're down 0-2, some hitters will still be like, okay, I'll choke up more now and I'll try to just kind of make as much contact as I can get on it. Because you know you're probably going to get the pitcher's best stuff. You know you're probably going to get their off-speed, their put-away pitch, whatever. But you know, Chris Taylor hit two home runs in one game way behind in the count. One of them he was 0-2, one of them he was 1-2. Guys just, guys just put their best swing on the ball and they do their best. Guys are better than ever at adjusting mid-pitch than they were before because they have to. Because movement is so absurd these days. It's just a fundamental misunderstanding of what the fly ball revolution is. What the home run three true outcomes revolution is. And announcers don't even seem particularly interested in interrogating that. They're just like, every time a guy makes weak contact and it sneaks through the infield, they're like, that's a great piece of hitting. Was the home run also a great piece of hitting? Or or just like, because... Because it's part of this larger narrative and trend, you just like can't appreciate it. Yeah, there's a there's a certain inability to think that baseball players are capable of doing multiple things, like having multiple skills. Like you said, a lot of guys, you know, if you're a pull hitter, you often are are pulling the ball, and sometimes it goes on the ground, and sometimes it goes uh, in the outfield and sometimes it goes over the fence and then sometimes you get a pitch on the outer part of the plate and you just poke your bat out there and take it the other way that's i mean that's a good piece of hitting right that's good def- good defensive hitting it's also as good as any other piece it, of hitting yes <laughs> like if you hit the ball on the ground at 110 miles an hour it's not because you weren't swinging hard. You just happened the bat plane met the ball with the ball, whatever movement was on the ball, at an angle that would produce a launch angle that was negative. And that is less than ideal. That is not better than if you hit a fly ball in terms of expected runs created. So, God, it's just this another example of this false binary that limits the way that we can talk about baseball. It like limits the conversation that we can have. It's just It just was grinding my gears. If you follow us on Twitter, you probably saw that it was grinding my gears. Yeah, so we have a tipping pitches drinking game. Drink every time Bobby makes a thread about something that TBS announcers are talking about during the World Series. Man, it's got to be more complex than that because I'm making a lot of threads. It's got to be more rules to keep people's attention. (laughs) No, I agree with you. Broadcasters appreciate the duality of man. Opposite field hitting and dingers. We can have them both. We really can. Okay, what's first down for you? First down for me is the 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 shot scene around the world. And I'm I'm not talking about anything that Chris Taylor did. I'm not talking about anything Eddie Rosario did. I'm talking of course about Luke Jackson. Mm-hmm. Hanging his head after giving up three straight hits against the Dodgers in game 6. It's the kind of image that will shake you to your core. The, the kind of image that makes you want to curl up in a ball. Give Luke Jackson 
a hug. Yeah. This is this is coming off the heels of having given up four runs in a third of an inning earlier in the series. So this is just a guy who's having a bad week at work in front of millions of people. And boy, are they seeing it. And boy, are they seeing how he responds to it. Because the shot of his head in his hands, just rubbing his face, you know, we've all been there. We're just like, I cannot believe I just fucking did that. Oh my God. Yeah. Like you're beating yourself up more than anyone else is. And it's tough. It's a tough spot to be in. It was one of those things that you immediately knew was going to become like a a lasting image. And it's not going to be as lasting as if the Braves had blown that game and then ended up blowing the series. But it was one of those things that I I just kind of, I was watching it at a bar and I saw it and I, I was just like, I didn't see a bunch of people making jokes about it on Twitter or talking about it on Twitter. And I was like, man, that's crushing. Everybody's going to be talking about that. (laughs) Like it was such a naked display of emotion. I think I said this last week, and I don't know if I was talking about Luke Jackson or not. I can't remember. But, you know, the beauty of baseball is that, and what makes it different than other sports, and what makes it, in my opinion, ultimately better and more tense in October, especially, is he's just out there on an island. You mm-hmm. have to do what you do with no clock, nothing to bail you out. You just got to do it. Yeah. And you got to perform. And the guy that you're going against has to do the same thing. And, as frustrated as Luke Jackson was and as sad as he looked, man, Mookie Betts striking out on three straight fastballs down the middle with runners on second and third. This is Mookie Betts, MVP Mookie Betts. And it's just as crushing to watch him fail too. And I was rooting for the Dodgers, so maybe it's a little slightly more crushing. But I still, my heart sunk all the way to the floor seeing that happen to Luke Jackson. Yeah, well, I think it, you can swallow, I think it's easier to swallow hitters failing because the the expectations that they're going to the, fail the, the expectations are that they're going to fail and, the, and also that the responsibility is is not necessarily just on the one person right but it's spread out across the lineup right when there's a pitcher out there who just doesn't have it yeah and it's just him and every single batter is like yes i'm seeing you yep. you luke jackson you're the one i want well, yeah, that's, it is very tough. much like, okay, there's chum in the water. Like, yeah. we're all going to come eat you up, and you are just being circled. <laughs> and, yeah, it's really tough. But tough. this is what you wanted. This is what you wanted for Luke Jackson. You got it, Bobby. One of the toughest spots in sports is to be a pitcher, prob- like a reliever especially, because you control less of your destiny when you're a reliever. Just not hung out to dry, because they're, like Snitker didn't do anything wrong by bringing in Luke Jackson. but wearing it uh it's very hard spot to be in okay my next down is chop adjacent um it's about there was a tweet earlier today that i quote tweeted a bunch of people saw it was going around it was a bad tweet i'm not even going to read the name of the guy or read the tweet really but at the at the basis of it was that was that old argument that we're so familiar with alex that cleveland used that atlanta has used the places like florida state have used which is, we're not using this name or this chant in an offensive way. We're using it because we love Native Americans and we support Native Americans and we donate all this money to indigenous people in this country and we've built this strong relationship. It's just that. What a cynical way 
to defend yourself. What what a what a bad faith interpretation of what it means to have a relationship to this community, to any community, to any indigenous community or to any underrepresented community, whatever. You thinking that it's okay to do the chop because you do all this other stuff is deranged. Like you should realize that because you have this relationship, it should reinforce to you that you shouldn't do the chop. Not that it's okay to do it. It's the exact opposite interpretation than the one that you're choosing to do. It just acquits fans for doing shitty stuff and the team for tacitly endorsing it because they're like, oh, we donated, we, we partnered to create a t-shirt. When in reality, like everybody who is all of the Native American chiefs who have ever gone on the record about the chop or about Cleveland's Chief Wahoo mascot, you know, 99.9% of them have been like, yes, this is racist. Yes, I wish they didn't do this. Well, and every defense of the chop ends up not really being a defense of the chop itself. It's more a it's more a defense of why it's not something worth getting mad about, you know? Like, no one is really coming out and saying, yeah, I don't think the chop is racist. I mean, those people probably exist. But but <laughs> the acknowledgement is, is often, yeah, it's a little problematic. But, again, we're doing these other things, right? We're taking steps elsewhere. So... Uh, what if we do a little tomahawk chop? You know, like what's it? What's it to you? I can have a little bit as a treat, right? Like, yes, that's what Braves fans deserve it. Like, they're not that bad. And it's like you are you are missing the point. A little over two years ago, Rob Manfred came out and said to the Washington Post, "Quote: The Braves have taken steps to take out the tomahawk chop," which indicates to me that the Braves and Major League Baseball are well aware that this is something they should get rid of. How could you not right? be? How could you right. not be? Right. If exactly. you exist and in society, you realize that this is heinous. Right. But they've got they have gone on public record saying, yeah, we should probably like phase this out. Like it's probably time. And the fact that again, two years on, what so the organist has stopped playing along with it? Wow. Congratulations. <laughs> I <sighs> they still dim the lights. They still play the drum beat. They still put the hammer on the screen animation. Right. Like, what the fuck are we talking about here? When have we ever proven that masses of baseball fans are going to do the correct thing to break a long-standing tradition all on their own? We need some sort of intervention. And this is not it. The, the Braves having a page on MLB.com saying all of the cool stuff that they've done for the Cherokee tribe is not actually solving the problem. It's just like it's like it's like it's a it's a, it's an aside. It's a footnote. That is a footnote, not that that's not what we're talking about here. It's it's trying to create like a moral uh like uh scale, yes. you know? And like on one side we have fans who do a really uh offensive chant. But on the other side, we have given money to people so that our fans can continue to do so this how, racist chant. Right. So it all, so, it all so comes So the question then becomes, how much money does it cost to, to be allowed to be racist? Right. This exactly. is not like a carbon offset, guys. Like this is, These are real people whose lives are being affected by you doing this racist chant. These are real stereotypes that are being perpetuated 
that have real effects on the general society's opinion towards the standing of Native Americans in this country, which is fucking terrible, by the way. Yeah. In case well, you stopped and, paying attention since high school. I mean, and taking it back to 2019, right? In in when the the Cardinals faced off against the Braves in the playoffs, you had pitcher Ryan Helsley, who uh, who's a member of the Cherokee Nation, coming out and saying, "Yeah, I'm not a, a quote unquote offended by the mascot or whatever, but it creates this misconception of us, the Native Americans, and it devalues us." And how we're perceived in that way or used as mascots, right? It's a misrepresentation of of who we are. You had a a player in baseball come out and say, guys, this is offensive. And if I recall correctly, I could be wrong, but the chop quieted down during that series. Fans were like, okay, I get it. The team was like, yeah, no, you make a good point. And then what happened? Uh, maybe this will be an inflection point. Maybe this will get better from this point on. but. Man, I guess we just got to start hitting the Braves in the bottom line for them to respond to this. I guess that's the world that we live in. I guess they yeah. can't, they're incapable of making the right call and sticking to it on their own. So I guess we got to start hitting Liberty Media in their pockets. Can we take the All Star game out of Georgia again? <laughs> you think that's possible? No, it'll just set up a redemption story. <laughs> God. Okay, what's next down for you? Uh, next down for me is slightly more trivial than that discussion and that is the um the gmc commercial that is being showed at the beginning of every commercial oh, break yeah. welcome to ad but, corner yeah that's right this is our our media criticism all the, power hour can we really quickly list off all of the uh, sponsors who will never sponsor the show based on just the, the last three episodes of this podcast <laughs> <laughs> ftx loan depot gmc uh any others that i'm missing I think we secured the bag from Good Sam. I think we were like Good right. Sam is yeah, sweet. Yeah, we were we were caping for them out yeah. here. Get me a trailer. That won't fit in my one parking spot in Los Angeles, that's for sure. Yeah, I don't think so. So this GMC commercial, this self-driving truck, I guess, right? It's it's they they don't use the phrase self-driving, I think because it's not supposed to be a self-driving truck, but it has corrective steering or or whatever, right? Assisted steering. I really don't know why it grinds my gears so much. <laughs> but, you know, it's just 30 seconds of people playing We Will Rock You on their laps while not driving their car. What is the... What are you selling me here? Are you selling me to, to go make a Queen playlist on Spotify? Are... Are you selling me that I'm actually really good at air drums? You are good at air drums. Thank you. Listeners don't know this about you, but it's very convincing. Yeah. Well, I'm doing it right now. We'll never see. <laughs> He's always doing air drums while we're recording the podcast <laughs> the entire time. Every episode they've ever listened. I hope now you've corrected the picture in your head of Alex. He's just air drumming. Yeah, exactly. I don't know, man. I don't have much else on this. I just, I this see it. This is hilarious. And I, I like, they even teed it up one time, you know, like, I don't remember who the, the, the broadcaster was who said it, but it was like, and now for a sneak peek at GMC's new truck. I was like, really? I'm really? obsessed with you to the idea that you're sitting there and you're just, you have this beer bottle. This commercial comes on and you're just like, shit. You just I do throw feel like it at the wall. <laughs> 
every every playoffs there is like one or two commercials that you know you're going to look back on in like five or ten years and be like what the f- what the fuck was that for you know after the GMC truck fizzles out in like a year and a half it's gonna be tough it'll be it'll be nice it'll be a trip down memory lane for us I'm gonna buy the truck as a bit yeah just to piss you off <laughs> in my heel era with all our ad money yes all of the ad money that we're not getting from GMC. Yeah. All right. What is last for you? Speaking of money and things that cost money and things that are absurd. Uh, ticket prices, Alex. Ticket prices. They're bad all the time. Of course, they're bad during the playoffs. But annual reminder as we sit here the night before game one of the World Series. Here's what it will run you to attend a World Series game as one individual just for the price of admission, not what it costs to get there, not what it costs to eat, not what it costs after fees, just the listed ticket price. In Houston, the cheapest tickets that I saw when I looked today were $425. That's like rent for a lot of people in the United States. That is one month's rent for many people in the United States. Mm-hmm. Groceries for the month or three hours of a baseball Booing Jose game. Altuve. <laughs> uh, that's in Houston. In Atlanta, the cheapest ticket that you can find for games three and four, $925. If I could whistle, I would be doing it right now. That's rent for a lot of other people in the United States and more expensive cities. That's groceries for three months. That's, it's so ridiculous, man. The MLB just like shrugs their hand and is like, when you look on MLB.com, or you look on like the Astros website, they're like tickets are very limited. All tickets have been sold. And then they actually have a link that links out to the secondary markets that you can click on from MLB.com that takes you to like SeatGeek or or um Ticketmaster or like whatever the their chosen ticket racketeering company is. I'm like, so you had the tickets. And sold them to this secondary market because you're sending me to the secondary market. Why couldn't you just keep them gated at a low price so that some real people could go to these games? Yes, I am insinuating that people who want to pay a thousand dollars for tickets may not be real. <laughs> <laughs> it just it boggles the mind that that you, it is it, it, that you wouldn't want the same fans who can afford to go to game 107 in August, you wouldn't want those same people to have the opportunity to show up for your team when they make it all the way. It's just bullshit. Well, another reminder that Rob Manfred doesn't actually care what you think. Yes. He's butts in seats. Um, that being said, I, I spent $2,500 and uh, got us tickets <laughs> to go to game three. You want to go? Let's do it. My boss will understand. <laughs> okay, what's your final down this week? All right, my final down this week is just a couple tweets, as it usually is. I will, uh, I'll set the scene real quick. Spirit Day is a, is a campaign, is a, a, a day and a campaign uh, to stop bullying against LGBTQ plus youth. GLAAD, the, the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, has stepped into this campaign and and tried to galvanize, you know, I mean millions of people 
um, in wearing purple on this day as a as a show of support, uh, as a show of solidarity in this campaign against bullying LGBTQ youth. Major League Baseball partners with them for Spirit Day. Major League Baseball makes a choice to partner with GLAD for Spirit Day, which is the campaign against bullying LGBTQ plus youth, right? This happens the third Thursday of every October. Alex, why are you saying that so many times? (laughs) All 30 teams send out a tweet about it saying, today's Spirit Day, right? This is, we, we do what we can to support LGBTQ youth or here's a link to, to GLAD or whatever their spin was, right? But it was in support of this overall message, except for a couple holdouts. Your Texas Rangers and uh, one Atlanta Braves. I've heard of them. I've heard of them too. You know who they didn't mention in their tweet? I'll give, I'll give you one guess. Who the, There's a co- certain community that went unmentioned. Well, my recall's not great, but I'm remembering something about LGBTQ plus mm-hmm. youth. Nothing. Not a, not a word about it. Um, Levi Weaver over at The Athletic, who's the, he's the, the beat reporter for The Athletic covering the Rangers, has a really good rundown of kind of how this unfolded and, and the Rangers' transgressions over the years. They are notably a, a team that, that doesn't hold a pride night. And Weaver actually asked um, John Blake, who's the executive VP of communications, why they didn't mention LGBTQ youth in a tweet that is explicitly about supporting LGBTQ youth. And he says, Spirit Day is set aside for MLB clubs to take a stand against bullying. Bullying who, you might ask? He leaves that unsaid. Something the Rangers do in a number of ways throughout the year. Most notably as one of about a dozen teams to partner with MLB to implement the Shred Hate program. So we're just talking about a different campaign now. He says, yes, I, I appreciate your question. Let me direct your attention to some other things we do. Once again, I'm kind of seeing a common theme in MLB among MLB teams who say, well, yes, we may have moral failings in this one area. But that is counterbalanced with these things we do in this other area. So really, they just cancel each other out, right? Yeah, it's so, it's so infuriating. And it's not hard to see. Like this, this is not the same thing by any means, but it's not hard to see why a team like the Braves would leave this part out and also not do anything to stop the chop, right? It's, it's do you want to do something that is politically difficult based on your fan base or based on your, your perceived market or based on what you think your fan base is or want your fan base to be if you want to take a more aggressive and cynical reading of it? Or do you not? Do you want to follow your morals and tell your fans that this is what you stand for? Or do you just want to seem like a sanded down, pristine organization because you think that it's the politically correct thing to do? Because you don't get to do both. No, you don't. And I, and I should say that the, the Braves did link to, to GLAD. They didn't mention what the campaign was for, but they said, if you're interested in learning more, here's the link. But like you said, it just speaks to this idea that, that baseball teams think that they can remove themselves from these conversations. And the fact that they even want to at all is frankly frightening. Um, the, the conclusion that Weaver 
comes to after texting with people in the organization who were similarly outraged by this. The conclusion he comes to is that someone high up in the organization had to have given some sort of directive to say, please don't mention them in our tweet. Yep. Because there's no other way this sort of thing unfolds, right? You don't get the entire organization together and say, so we all agree we, uh, we hate LGBTQ people. Yes, we're good on, we're aligned on that message. Okay, send tweet. Yes. This is very much like, a, like an active choice that one or two people made. And I don't know if they thought people wouldn't notice or they thought people wouldn't care. But it's the way or this if is... it's just or if it's just that they didn't they didn't care if people care, which I think it's the third one. And it's unfortunate because it reflects on the entire organization as it should. I mean, like these are the people who just happen to have the most influence within the organization and how it puts itself out into the world. But it reflects on the whole organization and people who have less power and are compensated less well end up having to answer for it. Do you think the person that sent this tweet was really like, I don't want to include this part? No, but they still had to read all the mentions. Their work yeah. phone still had to get flooded that day. Their day sucked that day. And to say nothing of the fact that the actually LGBTQ plus youth who are fans of these teams, it's just a slap in the face. It's like the rest of the league can do this. The rest of the league can get on the same page about this message. But here is my team implicitly telling me that I don't exist to them or I don't exist with enough relevance that they're willing to take flack from the old conservative fans who don't want to see that specificity included in the tweet. It's like a political bargaining chip to these teams. But again, I say, just like I said about the chop, it's not a political bargaining chip. These are real people who actually are like fans of your team and support your team and have meaningful relationships with the players on your team that change their lives and build them into who they are. So just treat them with humanity and respect. Yeah. Well, you'd be surprised at the, at the number of people for whom that's a controversial statement. Yeah. So uh, anyway, should we move on to our ups this week? I just feel, I feel like going to ups now. I just feel like in a great, happy mood. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll go first. Um, my first up this week is just something that I found funny during the ALCS. This was in the closeout game of Game 6, started by Astros rookie Luis Garcia, who has had a really solid rookie year. What happened in Game 6 was some of the funniest stuff that I've seen from a fan base in a long time, where Garcia was throwing two miles an hour, two to three miles an hour faster than he had really been throwing all year. Now, Alex, I might look at you and say, hey, adrenaline adrenaline coming back off a short start in the previous time. He's feeling a lot better. He got some training or he got some he got some treatment from the training staff. He's in front of his home crowd. This is a closeout game. He's throwing hard. He's jacked up. That's not what Red Sox fans thought. They were loosely insinuating that he maybe maybe took like PEDs. Maybe he was using. It was kind of unclear what, the, he was, what the insinuation was. Maybe he was using sticky stuff. Maybe they were giving him a different ball. I really don't know what they were. Right. Something trying, isn't trying on the up and up here. Suggest because there's no way to just cheat to add velocity that I've heard of yet. Maybe the Astros invented a proprietary method to add three miles per hour, but it'd be really weird for them to wait until now to use it. <laughs> yeah, with Luis Garcia. 
Right. Not like Zach Granke, who's lost like eight miles an hour on his fastball in the last three years. Like, we're not going to give him three miles an hour back. We're going to give the guy who throws 94 just an extra right. little juice. It was very, yeah. it was very Fans' funny. brains are, are, are broken. Completely now. broken. It was so conspiratorial. It was really just like Matrix stuff. Like, they, they tapped into the Matrix with Luis Garcia. I suggested that maybe Red Sox fans thought that the balls that Garcia was throwing had little drone engines in them and they were just pressing a little <laughs> accelerate at the end. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know, man. This is on my up because I just thought it was funny. Yeah, I mean, this discourse follows us everywhere, follows the Astros everywhere. But like I said, when we talked about this, when they played the White Sox, organizationally, you kind of, it's, 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 it's reaping, reaping what you sow. And again, like I said, Earlier in the episode, this is partially Manfred's doing himself by putting the onus on fans to be the arbiters of truth and be the 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 judge, jury, and executioner. Fans who know the least. Right. <laughs> we, we have the least knowledge in this equation. We know less than exactly. players. We know less than coaches. We certainly know less than executives. And we certainly know less than Rob Manfred. Yeah. So why would we be the people to decide who was right and who was wrong and how wrong they were? But that leads to stuff like this. You're right. Okay, what's your first up? My first up this week is just the the love that Atlanta's Latin American players have for each other. They so clearly are a, a tight-knit group and you can see it in the way that they are gassing each other up after a big hit. The way that they've all been Eddie Rosario's biggest cheerleader and even pushed him out into a curtain call. I think physically pushed him onto the field to to do a curtain call. Uh, you know, these are guys like Albies, but also their uh, their bench players like Jorge Soler and Guillermo Heredia and Johan Camargo and the you know the list goes on and on. But I think there's something really special about seeing a collection of players on the same team who understand each other culturally, so to speak, right? Who actually come from similar backgrounds. I don't know. I just think it's really cool to see. I really, I, I enjoy seeing players like show real love for each other. Um, a baseball team seems like a fun place to hang out. <laughs> My next up, Alex, is... Also coming from the Braves-Dodgers series, where <laughs> I don't know what game this was in. I think it was in game five, where Travis Darno was behind the plate. Albert Pujols was up to bat. I don't remember who was pitching, but they bounced a curveball, 58-foot curveball, and it bounced perfectly up over the plate to land right in Travis Darno's glove. And he caught it, and he brought it back up, and he tried to hold it. Like he was framing it, like you often do for a pitch that you want to be called a strike that you haven't heard the umpire say strike yet. And of course, it's not a strike, it bounced. But Pujols happened to turn around. I don't really know why, but he maybe just like looked back down at the plate and reset himself. And he saw that Darno was still holding the ball up and trying to frame it. And he <laughs> let his hand off the bat and he slapped Darno's glove <laughs> as if to say, what are you trying to pull on me? You're trying to get a straight call get right there? Get that weak there? shit out get of here. Get that weak shit out of there. And it was a real funny moment in such a tense, in such a tense game, in such a tense, tense spot. I mean, it just goes to show you 
it's like a it's it's like an example of why everybody loves Albert Pujols so much is because he is like the first of all like the like the current godfather of baseball still playing just talk about a living legend that goes without saying but why he ingratiates himself with both teams at all times it's just he can have a moment of fun like that because he's done it all man he's had the world series mvp run he's had the one of the greatest seasons of our lifetime and he is he's still still churning we're almost at the end of this podcast now and we haven't talked about Albert Pujols yet but that could have been the last series and game we ever see him play um he says that he wants to come back and play next year not sure if there will be a contract out there for him I'm sure if he really, really does want to come back and play and he's like committed to it, that a team will give him a hundred or two hundred at bats next year. But it might be the last time we see him in a big spot in October. So it's funny and it's fitting that in one in one of those last at bats he was cracking jokes with the opposing catcher. If Albert Pujols slaps your glove, you say thank you, sir. <laughs> Can can you please sign this for me after the game? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry my glove was in the way of your hand, Albert. <laughs> I'll never do it again, Albert. <laughs> um it was it was funny. And shout out to Travis Starno, Mets legend. Uh okay, Thanks. what's your next up? Uh my next up is <laughs> is watching players um accidentally spit into their beards. <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> This happened this happened multiple times across multiple games and we've got some bearded dudes out there. Ian Anderson for one. And it it made me think about the I I don't I it went weird places with this, but it made me think about like the varying levels of consistency of baseball players saliva, right? If if you're on the mound, for example, and you're and out there grinding. Your, your brain is a special place to be. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> you're out there grinding. You're probably a little dehydrated and stuff. Your your mouth is maybe a little dry. It's very easy to spit, mm-hmm. right? That's and you you'll see guys. I mean, you, you guys do it all the time because now they, we get close ups of their face. They just you know you you ball a little bit up and you you toss it out there. But when you're just like chilling in the dugout and you're like well hydrated and stuff, you're you got a lot of you got a lot of juice in there, dude. And what is I going saw multiple. On? <laughs> All I'm saying is, I saw multiple players just having spit like dribble down mm-hmm. into their chin. Some who noticed, and some who who didn't. Ian Anderson, to his credit, I believe noticed. It did kind of like a like a nonchalant, uh, just uh, just rubbing my face here, you know, uh, just just giving the old beard a little feel. Yeah. But all that to say, I I'm looking forward to seeing. More of that on on the national stage. Spit cam activated. Spit cam. Mm-hmm. More like more like spitting pitches. There you go. Uh, okay, you do your final one too, because mine mine I want to close out the pod with. So, what's your final up this week? All right. Well, my uh, my final up this week starts uh, around the same area that we started this podcast, which is with a with a reading from a column from a person who ostensibly wrote said column. Are we sure Bob Nightingale's a person? You ever seen him? You ever seen him in real life? <laughs> no, I've never seen him. <laughs> um, this is uh, by Bob Clapish. Clapish? Clapish, bro? 
from NJ.com who wrote a column about the Yankees and what they might have to do to shake things up in 2022. I I can't actually read the column to you because it's paywalled, mm. but there's some 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 generous folks out there on Twitter who shared the screenshots. And there's one in particular part That's that I would like to that is praxis. And I'd I'd like to read you uh Bob's not really doing it with the Bobs this week. Bob's uh, analysis of Joey Gallo and his future as a Yankee. Okay, great. It's not only Boone's responsibility. Cashman has to fill the room with troops of the right pedigree. Take, for instance, Joey Gallo, who I'm told would lay out his uniform piece by piece in front of his locker before dressing, then undress if the fit wasn't right. Sometimes this would happen more than once before the slugger was ready to take the field. He then goes on to talk about his batting average. And it's telling to me that he didn't even lead with that. He led with, hang on, I'm just making sure I'm reading this correctly. The, the way Joey Gallo gets dressed before a game, that's, that's what we're concerned. You got to make, sure you, you make sure you fill the room with troops with the right pedigree. And the guy who lays out his uniform before putting it on, I don't know. There's something fishy there. <laughs> do you do this? Do you put out your whole outfit like before you actually get dressed and see how it looks on the bed or no? You just kind of throw I, stuff on. It, it depends on the day. You know, it depends on how much of a rush I'm in. If I've got the time, yeah, I'm going to lay it out. You know, does this sh- shirt go with these pants? Right. Such a high I'm degree of difficulty that you and I are trying to pull off your jeans and a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe if exactly. we get crazy with it. Do they go? A jacket. Oh, yeah, that's tough. That's a jacket. Tough. That's tough. Sneakers. <laughs> I am just begging columnists to come up with some more interesting stuff to just write about. Be, or not. Just or not. Be because it, it gives no, us good content. Just be normal. Please be normal. Please be normal. Uh, Big ask. Okay. My final up this week is the same as last week, Alex. It's that our 200th episode is coming up. And this That's week, right. I get to say that it's also that people have written in for our 200th episode. Mailbag. AMA. We've gotten a good list cooking up so far of questions. But we need more. And we need slightly weirder questions, I have to say. We need like a little bit off the wall. We've had a few people ask us baseball questions. That's totally okay. You want to hear us talk about baseball? I also want to talk about other stuff that's not baseball. It's going to be after the World Series has ended. I will remind everybody that this is episode 198. The second episode of November will be episode 200, our AMA. Please write in for that. Tippingpitchespot at gmail.com. You can call in for that. If you want us to play your voicemail out loud, 785-422-5881. You can DM us on Twitter, tipping underscore pitches. And get wild with it. Ask Alex why he loves spit so much. (laughs) (laughs) Tipping pitches out of context. (laughs) Ask me what my favorite outfit that I've ever seen Alex throw together is. I'll let you know. You only got like five to choose from. I got, so it's, I got it's answers. It's easy. I got answers. He's got, he's got some really good t-shirts. Okay. Thanks. Big, big graphic tee fans over here at Tipping Pitches. True story. Alex and I were on vacation once and he wore a t-shirt that had a picture of Henry Kissinger's face on it and, the, and had text underneath it that said, hell is patient. All you need to know, you, really. You can't deny it. anything about the brand that t-shirt. Is <laughs> 
including who was wearing it. Uh, that does it for this week's episode of Tipping Pitches. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week for a mid-world series. Yeah, this is how we chill from 93 Tip. 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 Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping Pitches. This is the one that I love the most. Tipping pitches. So we'll see you next week. See ya!